Welcome back to the YBF Podcast. It's your girl, Natasha, and I'm back with another guest for our YBF Politics Vertical, and she's like one of my favorite people. I follow her from what she's doing online, but also I follow what she's just all about, and I've known her for a few years, more than a few years, and (laughs) I've just seen the growth there, and I just think it's amazing. I think this is the perfect person to talk to us about activism, putting, putting our wants and needs and desires and the things that we want to change into a place where we can actually form solutions and we can actually make change. She's the perfect person to talk to about this. And um, she is a self-described bad bitch, mom, and entrepreneur. And I I co-sign every last piece of that. Um, (laughs) So please welcome to the podcast, Miss Angela, Mrs. Angela Peoples. Hi, I'm happy to be here. How Thanks are you? I'm doing really well. I'm very excited to be here, excited about the conversation and YPF politics. I think this is a really great time to, to give people a way to really dig into deep and about how changes are, all of the changes are happening and how we can actually influence them. Because it's a lot. It's a lot going on. Um, so you have been the co-founder and leader in multiple organizations. So, and they focus on different aspects of politics and policy. So Black Women Four, mm-hmm. Others Who March, uh, and this is this the South. And if there's others that you want to talk about, we will get to those too. And I wanted to like basically get into why you started these, what type of impact you're seeing, or what was the initial goal for you in these organizations what is the whole spiel behind you becoming a viral activist yeah so i honestly i've I've been thinking about this a lot i've been um, an organizer a strategist an activist for most of my life but definitely have been doing it as a full-time in my full-time work capacity for about 12 years now. Um, And when specifically in the sense of Black Women 4 and the Black Mamas March uh, work, uh, it's really, I I honestly start work because I see something that I even need for myself, right? There are so many, there are so many great groups um, in the U.S. and around around the world that are organizing Black folks for different reasons, different parts of our population. Um, but but I think specifically for Black Women 4, um, at the sort of beginning of last year, maybe the, around this time last year actually, um, was in conversation with other Black women organizers and political strategists that I really respect and have um, a lot of, of, of love for. And we really recognized that no one was organizing progressive Black women, people who are uh, um, pushing for things like canceling student debt, for Medicare and healthcare for all, for abolishing prisons or getting rid of the police and their role in our cities. No one was really speaking that voice, but we are the folks that when it comes down to knock doors, to register voters, to put together advocacy plans, we're the ones that are um, kind of leading that work. And so we decided let's create a space for ourselves. Let's create a space that that can address the need that we see. And that's been true for a lot of the work that I've done. And that's exactly why we formed YBF Politics as well, to right. get to the bottom of, I mean, what are you going to do for us as Black women? We hear everything that politicians are saying on all the mainstream media, their own platforms and everywhere else, but very rarely do they hone in on what specifically, not just the Black community, but specifically will help Black women. Every other group makes demands. Why can't we? So I love yeah. that you all have actually 
taken the initiative to form a group in order to make your demands and be a little bit more formal. One of the one of the um, complaints that I hear from older generations and and people who just don't get it are like, well, what what's what are they standing? What is Black Lives Matter even standing for? What are their demands? Nobody's cohesive. No one is. There's no one leader. There's no one voice. I completely disagree with that for many reasons. But what is your answer to that? With to me, it's like a more non-traditional form of activism that we're doing right now in 2020. It's not necessarily the Jesse Jacksons and the Al Sharptons of the day when they had like a bulleted list of everything that was their demand. And they, I don't even know who they sent it to. Like, where, did they send a fax? I don't know. Right. But as of right now, like there are ways, like people are making demands and it is pretty clear to me, if you're yeah. on social media at least, what their demands are. What do you say to that and how do you all tackle that? I mean, I think that the, the, you're absolutely right. There are, there are lots of demands and the demands are clear. I think that um, part of what folks are experiencing is that it looks different, right? Mm -hmm. we, politics, especially, you know, not to give props necessarily to the occupant of the White House, but the way that he engaged with Twitter and social media, the way that the role that Facebook plays in spreading information, good and bad, right. it has changed how change how politics happen how social change happens and so there isn't just one leader there are many right. leaders right. and many of those leaders are women and i think right. that it's um it, it's a it's a false choice or it's maybe even a red herring to say there are no demands there are plenty of demands and they're right. very clear you may not agree with the demands and that's another conversation to have mm -hmm. you may not understand the demands mm -hmm. but to say that there's no demands there's no leadership i think is is certainly oversimplifying and even dismissive of of a lot of the very thoughtful um intentional and and powerful work that's happening and we're seeing it Play, pay and dividends. We're seeing um, school boards respond to demands. We're seeing even presidential candidates. So the group Black Women For when we started it, one of the things that we really wanted is not just for candidates to say to, to say that they're campaigning to Black voters or to Black women, but for them to actually sit down and listen to us, to take our leadership and then say, okay, this is what these folks are saying that they need. How can we adopt that into our policy? And that was really we really trying to put ourselves in the position of leading and not letting them say, this is what we're here to offer you. Yeah, and I hope that people really understand that and get that sitting down and having the one-to-one face-to-face um, FaceTime with people that are going to be policymakers and policy enforcers to me is the goal, you know? Yeah. So I, I, don't, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with people, especially younger people taking a whole different route to getting people's attention if you actually end up at that goal. So mm -hmm. here we are. Um, so one of the, um, for Black Women 4, one of the things that um, I guess maybe put you all on the map, I'm not sure, but you backed um, Elizabeth Warren for, for president. Mm -hmm. And what do you say now? Like what, what is Black Women 4 stating now that she's no longer a candidate for president? Have we moved to a different candidate to officially back them as well? or we move to, I mean, presidential candidate, or have we kind of stepped back and just maybe looked at the policies that we want to enforce, that we want whoever is going to be taking office to enforce? What, what's the mission now that Elizabeth Warren is not in the running? Yeah, so we we haven't made a step to endorse another candidate. We haven't endorsed Joe Biden, who's the only candidate in the race right now. Right. 
Um, and I can I, I could get into a lot of reasons why that hasn't happened, but I will say what's important to us right now, especially so 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 many of the people that are a part of Black Women for are also leaders of local Black Lives Matter groups or um, leaders of local Black feminist groups or are fighting around their with their faith community. So people are, are very engaged in this moment. Right. And what we have been charged to do, especially at now that Senator, as Senator Warren transitioned out of the race, is to support what people are doing in their local communities and really encouraging people to say, it's actually uh, yes, the presidential race is extremely important, right. but it's just one, one, one small piece of what right. we're fighting for in 2020 right. and across the board. And so we're we're really focusing on encouraging people to get connected, especially to um, organizations that are fighting for um, uh, Black liberation and a pushing for an inclusive vision of Black Lives Matter. When we say Black Lives Matter, we mean trans women, we mean gender non-conforming people, we mean all Black families, all black, we mean yeah. disabled Black folks, all Black everything. And we're really trying to encourage people to that are looking to Black women for, for direction to look into the leadership of Black women and Black femme folks in their communities, because that's really where a lot of the powerful work is happening. Yeah. So let's talk policy. What is it that we as a people, you and your organization, what is it that we can do to go from point A to point B? We know what our demands are, you listed several. Mm -hmm. um, we know what we want as a black progressive community. Mm -hmm. How are we going from point A to point B? Mm -hmm. We really have to build the power. We have to build our political power, our organizing power. Um, and that's what we're seeing in the streets right now. We're seeing people showing up consistently and our elected leaders are seeing the, the power that that manifests, right? So for some people, seeing people march in the street, it might be, well, what is that gonna, how is that gonna have an impact? The people in the streets, it, it creates, it, it's a very visible demonstration of support for a particular issue. In this case, support for defunding the police is what we're hearing a lot. Mm -hmm. It also indicates um, it could show a lot of, of dissent or a lot of um, people against a particular issue. And when people, when all of that energy is in the streets and it uh, comes together to build power for an actual shift against, for a policy or, or changing a policy that is causing harm. And so I think that what is most important now is to really do the things that build power, for example, um, showing up um, consistently in making so you when you make an ask when you make a demand of an elected leader of someone even on your city council um your city council um local level yeah. if they say if you and like three of your friends say uh, they say no to your demand no we're not going to take the police of our schools no we're not going to defund the police okay bet cool go back to your community and, and talk to the other people around the, your three friends and say, we, we, that you think might support this, we asked our, our city council member, we asked our mayor to do this thing that we all agree with and they didn't do it. Will you come back to the mayor's office with us? And so now instead of those three people, you have nine people or you have 15 people. And the more and more that we can grow the, the and, and grow and demonstrate the support for our issues, that's about building the power um, that's gonna push those elected leaders to move forward. And then one other thing I would say, because it's not just about showing mass numbers of people that mm -hmm. are in support or against a particular issue. Mm -hmm. It's also about getting people that are supporting your issue into office. Yep. Um, and so it's, it is really important, not just to vote, 
but to run candidates and to support candidates that are running, even if they have a long shot. Um, we've been seeing since 2018 with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Ayanna Presley, many of these candidates that were long shots that took on people who had a lot of resources and they won and now they're champions for our issues in Congress. Um, and so it's important to build power, to show that people support your issue uh -huh. and also to build power to get people the, the individuals into office that support your issue love that um policy wise what are the top let's just tackle two what are the top two issues from a black mother's perspective that you no matter what politician you're talking to from the local dog catcher to to president it like all levels, no matter who you speak to, it's something that is a either unifying theme or something that you always bring up no matter what. What are those two issues that you are always concerned about no matter who's holding office as a black mother? Uh, yeah, I, for me, the two issues are the, the police over-policing and criminalizing of black communities um, and um, access to, to healthcare and health insurance. Okay. Um, I think that that is, um, if I had to kind of compartmentalize the amount of time that my mind spends worrying about yeah. things, right? It's like, is my child going to get sick? And do I have the resources that I, am I going to get sick? Do we have the resources that we need to address that to be, to take care if that happens? And also, um, are, what are the, am I going to be criminalized in any particular way? And by criminalized, I mean, um, there are so many aspects of the law that, um, you could just be doing and living your day-to-day -day life and depending on who sees it or who's experiencing it or who's offended by it, you could get the police called on you and then your life really changes and transforms. And so yeah. thinking about, for me, it's all about taking away money, power, resources from the police and from the system that the police are involved in and putting it towards things like um, access to, to free health care um, and to, to, to quality health care. Right. And that is what defund the police means if you all out there are under a rock. Um, it does not mean abolish police per se, even though there are some people in um, on the progressive side who do feel like a police should be abolished completely. Mm -hmm. um, but for the majority, um, defund the police means to take away the excessive amount of money and resources they are given and reallocate them to the things that can maybe stop crime. So mm -hmm. I always say you cannot overfund the, 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 the result of things. You can't overfund what happens after the fact, the outcomes, yet take away right. money from the root of the issue causing the after the fact. Like right. let's, let's get to the root of the problem and fund that. And therefore police, you won't need to work that hard anymore. But we all know that there's other things in play that why they want it this way. Right. Um, and they want police to have the majority of power. It's, it's a racial aspect. There's an economic aspect. There's just a, to me, a male power aspect of this, but whatever. It's really, it's really about control, you yep. know? And I, 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 I was, um, I think I might've been talking to my, one of my parents about this. The, the role of the police from the very, very beginning was always about control. It was right. about controlling the movement of bodies, particularly yep. black bodies, formerly enslaved bodies, uh -huh. and also about the movement and the protection of the movement of money, right? right? And so controlling those things 
that's really what the police are about controlling them for the folks that are wealthy and already have access. Right. And I think when you break it down in that, in that aspect, it really opens up a conversation about, well, who are they controlling it for? And who are they trying to control? Me and you. Right. 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 I mean, you know, I can talk all day about, I mean, given there are women in the police force, but I do think this is, a, but they weren't always, and women did not, for, did not form the police force. So the reason why it was formed to me is a very male power situation mm -hmm. um, and a very, like you said, control. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know how to get rid of that. And this is, if once you understand the why, then you can kind of get to the how. And mm -hmm. we know now that the why is they want control. How do we, it's not really about just asking them to take away money and take away resources. They're going to, they're going to find a reason to say no, because they're trying to protect the real reason, which is control. So how we attack the why, I, I don't know. It's like asking how to cure male privilege and how to cure male ego. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's something to think about. And it's an institutional problem, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you think about what we're told when we're growing up, right, is the police are there to protect and to serve us, right? They're there to, to maintain safety. I don't remember the last time I felt safe with a police officer, mm. around, right? And so again, thinking about the, the why, right? Um, or even, even what would your ideal situation be, right? So many folks say, um, well, what if this, you know, catastrophic, awful things happen? What if, what if someone is breaking into your house? Do you actually want that person that's breaking into your house to lose their life or to be to be taken away forever? Is that the actual outcome that you want? For most people, they will tell you no. Right. right? They will tell you something other than I want my this person to be killed without any sort of Well, unless you live in Texas, because child is right, true. <laughs> like you on my property, you're dead, and that's it. Because that's the law. They're able to do that. So <laughs> And even in that case, it that that's a different calculation than this this outside entity, like you and someone breaking into your house, you're having a, a, a particular relationship. Right. The police come along and they have the authority to kill the person breaking into your house, but they also have the authority to kill you. To kill you, yeah. And I think like that those are the that's a part of the like when you know we kind of got to unpack a little bit where there's a lot of I think um, there's a, a lot more to think about and what I'm really excited about when the conversations about defunding the police and what do we do about that it actually invites us to have a conversation about how do we actually want to be with each yeah. other yeah. how do we actually want to engage with our neighbors instead of this like oh I'm not going to worry about whatever conflict is happening I'm just going to call the police and they're going to deal with it well, no, the police are going to likely make the conflict worse. So we right. need a chance to actually think through what does caring for someone who's in a mental health crisis look like? What does look like addressing um, drug abuse and even drug selling or, or, or anything like that, right? What is, what right. do we want to happen? So getting to the bottom, the root of the issue. Exactly. Instead yeah. of just dismissing it as something that we don't need to worry about and that we can just send it to the mm -hmm. police, which will create mm -hmm. a whole nother set of challenges. Right, right. How was, by the way, you you all had a Black Mamas March yesterday. Yes. How did that go? Oh, it was so beautiful. So myself and um, Kiera Pasante Houghton and Aisha Alexander Young um, are two um, mamas of young children in D.C. Um, and Aisha actually organized, she's originally from Charlotte and she was visiting there right as some of the um, uprisings were happening. And she organized a march with Black Mamas 
in Charlotte. Um, and it was, it was so inspiring to see. And I had been really struggling as um, a mama who had previously been out at lots of protests. I, you know, been chained up to so many things. I can't even really <laughs> talk about that life. <laughs> right. I've, I've been in these streets for a minute, but now when I, with my child, I have a two-year-old, the calculation is just a lot different and of yep. course with the health pandemic. Yep. And so we, we really wanted to create a space for black mothers and black families to be able to come out, to take action, to show their support for this movement that is growing, but also do it in a way that felt safer, right? That felt mm -hmm. like, like maybe we wouldn't risk getting our kids tear gassed by the police. Right. Um, and, and so we did that. The March was beautiful. We did a little baby March, which was, so cute. Oh my gosh. Sure. You can see the pictures um, at Black Mamas March on Instagram or Black Women 4. It's women with an X on Instagram. You can see pictures and video. Um, but it was a really great time. And, and you know, there were, um, there were some uh, good stories about it afterwards in the papers today. And one was quoting a young Black man who, or a young boy who was talking about how he's been so scared. He's just been terrified. Mm -hmm by all of the things, right? And like not being able to sleep and all of that and saying how the march really helped him feel proud and yeah. helped him feel joyful, um, which was really our, honestly our goal. Uh, we know that our liberation is tied to our joy. They yeah. cannot be separated. We're not gonna get free if yeah. we can't you know, be in, in, in black joy and in black love. Um, well, speaking so, of Speaking yeah, go of ahead. the boy that you were talking about, do you think as a mother there is, do you think there's different challenges in raising a black son as a black mother versus a black daughter? I definitely do. I mean, I think I don't, I don't have a son, but I, you know, know I have friends who have sons. I have an older, I have a younger brother um, who's 10 years younger than me. Yeah. Um, and so I really got to watch him grow up and watch my parents parent him and it is it is a it is a different challenge you know i think with young women you with girls you're challenged by wanting to make them aware of you know white supremacy and racism but also the threat of 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 male dominance and and gender-based violence and how those things can show up and with black men you also are young boys you're trying to raise them to um, you know, you obviously want to raise them to be aware and mindful of how to interact with the police and yeah. this idea of code switching and all of that. And then there's also elements of like, how do you help your son not continue the cycles of, you know, misogyny or anti-woman ideas, anti-woman, anti-black woman ideas and violence, right? Because our culture right now is, is sending those messages to them constantly, yep. right? Being anti-woman, being anti-black woman, being anti-dark-skinned women, mm -hmm. right? And so our kids, whether they're boys or girls or, or across the gender spectrum, they hear these messages. And so trying to uh, help them unlearn them or teach them other messages at the same time is a challenge. And I think it's different with boys or girls too. Yeah. And also teaching young girls to not internalize it and then become yeah. the misogynist as well yeah. um it's internalized misogyny will do that it's just like yeah and but speaking of that there is um i do feel like there is a circle that we go in to address um to address exactly what you're saying my issue is and i just sometimes i think back to like when i was little and like things i was taught i went to a 
a Catholic school, a Catholic high school, and always went to private schools all of my life. And the things taught there, they could say and do whatever they want. They're a private school. So it's not like they had to play politics and, mm-hmm. and follow the follow the government rules or whatever. We were a Christian school when I was a younger age and a Catholic school when I was um, in high school. So they taught very religion-based, um, not just academia, but you as a person and trying to shape you as a person. And thinking back on the things I was taught, and I was just, it, it just came to me when I said internalized misogyny, the things that I hear now, it triggers me. Cause mm-hmm. I'm like, oh my God, I know exactly where these people get this from because I was taught those same things. Yeah. So being literally like harping on the women, we wore school uniforms, hopping, harping on the women, the, the girls in this school and, and giving us detention and giving us this and that because of what we, our skirt is too short or because I wore my hair in a way, you know, it was a predominantly white school and I'm a black girl. So I come to school with braids, wearing <laughs> braids or, you know, wearing too much makeup, which meant lip gloss. Yeah. Um, my nails are too long. Literally in our dress code, these things are said. And I was like, I never, I don't think I realized how internal, how internalized I, I, I made that. And I even catch myself as an adult, like being like, um, maybe I shouldn't wear this. Maybe I shouldn't be this because I want to be taken seriously. Yeah. And at some point, I understand teaching girls and teaching boys certain things, especially black girls and black boys, certain things in order to win at life. Sometimes you have to play the game to a certain extent. But at what point do we focus more on the game itself and trying to break that apart and trying to disassemble that? Why do we put so much? Yes, you have to teach a child to recognize racism, sexism, misogyny, and all those things. But I feel like we put so much onus in it. And it's just like, damn, can, like you said, can they have some joy? Like, can we can we give them something more than just don't do this, don't do this, because you, you gotta be work three times as hard to make it half as far. Yeah, but sometimes shouldn't you be like, let me go be mad at the fact that I, they do have to be working three times as hard. Like, how do we reconcile that? How do we balance that? Yeah. Does and that make sense? It does. No, it totally makes sense. And it, it's, I mean, one, it, it goes back to control, right? They tell you those things, right? Because they want to keep you in line in a certain box. They want to keep you expressing a certain identity or a, a visually a certain identity. Um, but it, 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 it is about, it has to be about the institutions. And we put so much pressure on our youth, on our kids to, to be responsive to these, um, systems like the education system. The education system says that you have to get these particular, get this particular grade on this particular test, not that test. Those other tests don't matter. And you also have to have a resume that looks like this. And you also have to go to these programs. The education system is telling, is is creating these, um, we're we're training our children to be responsive to a system instead of creating a system that can be responsive to what our children need and that's so much pressure on them right it's so much pressure to to try to show up in all of the right ways all of the time otherwise you're going to get kicked out you're going to get disciplined you're going to get maybe even sent to jail that sticks with you and it's forever absolutely and i always say at what cost at what cost are we doing this yeah we all made it because you know even my parents sometimes like well clearly it worked because look at you now and i'm like yeah but at what cost and how much how much am i spending on my therapy in the meantime why do we have to keep doing why can't we improve everything could use improvement why can't we improve it um child i got called 
Yeah, go ahead. No, just really quick. I was gonna say the, that point. It. I think it goes back to this question of like politics, right? So many people are like, I'm not into politics or don't make everything political, but you realize, yeah. right? These decisions are all political. They're all political. Every single thing that we do and say is all connected to our politics. Yeah. When we when we tell our kids to wear their hair a certain way, get up at this particular time, you know, when even ourselves, we drive this car, it's almost all tied to politics. And so that's why it's important yeah. for folks to stay up to date and aware of how the politics are moving and weaving. Yeah, everything affects you, everything. It drives me nuts when I see certain people, usually white people, but certain people, I mean, why do we have to politicize it? Girl, my existence is politicized. Like, is. I don't know what to tell you. Truly, truly. truly. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's real. Um, okay, so let's, before we wrap things up, let's talk part party solidarity so you did an article for playboy mm -hmm. um titled and i love that because let's let please god let's all use as many non-traditional sources right. to reach people that we can i love it um so the title is when is party solidarity worse than voting your conscience so basically when is it when is it worth is it worth it to keep voting alongside party lines if there's certain things that just don't vibe with you and don't resonate with you um i definitely have my thoughts on that but i want to hear yours tell me tell me about that yeah i mean i so i wrote that piece what feels like decades ago and just like, the way, like a few months ago <laughs> it was all it was only it was only yeah it was march actually yeah. <laughs> so it wasn't that long ago but so much has happened in the world yeah then. Um, but I, I do, I, you know, I feel similarly, and I think it's a really important point for folks to wrestle with, you know, now I'm not saying that um, Donald Trump or Joe Biden are the same, right? That's right. the people's immediate response. No, that's not what I'm saying. And again, it, 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 this conversation matters a lot up and down the ticket, right? Not just the presidential level. This is for on the local level across the board. But part of what I'm trying to lift up is that there's this conversation about who's electable, right? Mm -hmm. Who's, who is the, which identities or experiences are going to be electable. Um, and the, the truth is the <clears throat> history, what, who is electable is a base lot on history and history shows us that most of the people that were even able to run on off, run for office are, were, were white men with who are property owners. Right. Mm -hmm. And so many, many times, people vote, um, your, your electability increases if you run for office before, if you've won before, right? You have name recognition, people know you. Yeah. But historically, people like me, people like you, were not able to run for as long. So therefore we weren't able to win for as long. And so I'm really challenging people to think about these assumptions about what it means for someone to be quote unquote electable mm. and actually think about what's under rooting that, which is white supremacy, white dominance, white male dominance, um, and actually turn away from just voting for who you've seen win in the past or who you think might be able to win mm -hmm. and actually vote for the issues that are aligned in your values and your policies. If we do that, then we, we are much less likely to get a candidate who gets into office and turns their back onto us and everything yeah. that, they, that we thought that they would do. Um, that brings me to the, the question I had that I was on this panel yesterday, this virtual panel for MPHC as well as NAACP. Um, and we were talking about the new movie Rigged, um, which breaks down 
the 10 step playbook that Republicans have used in order to get into office mm -hmm. and stay in, in office. And it, and it talks about down ticket voting and all the different sets of things, all the cogs in the wheel that the Republican Party used in order to get to where they are right now and flex that power all over the place. So that's why I go back and forth with the whole, do you vote just according to the ticket or just according to party or not? Some years, yes, you need to. Just for the bigger picture of things, um, if we're trying to overhaul the system, you cannot overhaul the system if it's controlled by the people that is a, that are in opposition to you. So first you need to get control. That mm -hmm. means you have to flip the Senate. That means you have mm -hmm. to flip the state legislatures that are uh, Republican run. So that means literally it's a numbers game. That means you have to just flip the ticket, period, point blank. I mean, I'm sorry, vote down ticket, period, point blank. Now in other years, and then, you know, every now and then, yeah, you should be very picky and choosy about who you want to do that, who you right. want to put in the office and who you want to flip that, that, that seat. And, and not all races are equal also. Definitely right? not. Like, there's a, there was a, a good example in, in, in New York this last week with Jamal Bowen and Elliot Engel, uh -huh. um, this, this primary race, right? Um, conventional wisdom said that Elliot Engel was, was, was going to win and you should vote for him if you want a Democrat to win. Um, but his values were not aligned with, with what a lot exactly. of folks of color have been yep. saying that they need. His performance was not aligned with what people are saying that they need. And so being able to look at that race right. and not just say, oh, well, again, electability says this black principle this black man principle um, isn't gonna or isn't gonna party. isn't electable, yeah. and so we shouldn't vote for him. But if you but folks were able to hear actually hear the the values, right. and hear the policies, and make those shifts and make that adjustment. And now right. you know um, November willing, Jamal Bowen is going to be a, a congressman. This, this black middle school principal um, is going to be changing the face of Congress. Same thing in Virginia, Virginia's fifth district, who we interviewed, Dr. Cameron Webb, like completely came out the blue, and I mean, yes, he has every every degree you can think of but still he's still a black man in virginia in a very red district and it's still he still rose to the top and he's still very likely going to flip that seat in november so like you said earlier even if it feels like a long shot go with who makes sense for mm -hmm. that seat and for that for the party or the progressive sector of that party no matter what but what also i was wondering about while we were talking yesterday is what happens when we don't have an alternative. Mm -hmm. So I bring that up because of the Elijah McClain case. And in Colorado, the DA decided not to, obviously decided not to even try to investigate the cops that brutally murdered Elijah McClain. And looking back in his history, I spent some time like, well, what the hell, why this cop acting crazy? Let me look this up. Not only is he a Democrat, not cop, sorry, district attorney. Mm -hmm. Not only is he a Democrat, but he has done things like this multiple times. They serve, a, I think, eight year, uh, eight year terms um, as district attorney. And over that eight years, he's up for election now. Um, over that eight years, he has allowed women beaters to walk. He has allowed abusive people to walk, people who have killed murderers to walk. And it's just like, okay, so how do we get him up out of office? Like, I understand the governor's reopening and we're getting a special prosecutor, but no, he needs to get up out of here. Yeah. But when I was looking, he, he's running unopposed, unopposed and for the primary, which means he's going to just have a Republican opponent in November. Yeah. What do we do? You know, do we have to, is that a time where we have to be like, eh, we might have to back away from the Democrat that time and we might have to look at this Republican candidate 
because that's more with our conscience. Like, what do you suggest? Yeah, I mean, one thing I'll say is that's why, like, our uh, a lot of people are calling for a change to our two-party system, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's it's pretty hard for a third-party candidate to win at a higher level, um, and so that kind of boxes us into these choices where you know, we're, we're forced to choose between the white supremacist with the D on their net on by their name or the white supremacist with the R by their name. Um, and that's, that, that is, that's not, not doable. It's not in our interests. It's <laughs> not cool. Um, and it, it, it is, it's also all about maintaining that dominance and that control. Right. Mm-hmm. And so part of what, um, I think it needs to be done in instances like that is maybe there's a there's a campaign to to vote no confidence or to vote you know mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure exactly on all of the details of how the um, Colorado Constitution works or how you might be able to remove a DA but um, there was a lot of work done in in Ferguson and in St Louis um, even after there was a non indictment in the case of Darren Wilson killing Michael Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there was a lot of work done for many years to get that governor, uh, I'm sorry, the, the prosecutor out of office, right? And so it wasn't a quick, it wasn't a quick solution. It was a fight over many, many years. And sometimes yeah. that is what it takes. Yeah. Um, but that's also why it's very important to be engaged even after the election cycle. Yes, accountability. Right? Yes. A lot of people are saying, you know, how, how can I vote for this one candidate when I'm fighting for, you know, justice and in the streets. And the truth is how you participate on election day should not be the only expression of your politics. Right. How right. you engage on every, every two years, every four years on November should be one of many, many steps that you're doing to engage, to be, to find out what's happening around with the issues and policy right. in your local area, but also to be fighting for, for your family and for your community. So there are lots of different ways to be engaged. Yeah. And that is what I think it would take in a case like um, what's happening on that prosecutor yeah. in Colorado. And I think it's also a lack of accountability over these last eight years. If people would have paid attention and saw what he was doing, maybe we wouldn't have gotten this far. You That's know, right. maybe we would have taken steps to get him. I don't know what it's going to take, but there for sure is a way to remove someone from office. So let's pay attention, guys. Let's let's hold these people that we put into office accountable from the day one after they're elected. Um, all right, so I guess the last thing is, um, I just wanna know from you, what 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 do you want our listeners and readers to know? How do we follow you and what your work is, is doing and what do we do? How do we yeah. find? <laughs> well, first thing I would say is to get connected, to find a organization that can that you can learn and grow and and sharpen your politics the reason that i know what i know and i i didn't start off being like defund the police and abolish prisons right that wasn't my when we first met right natasha that wasn't our, my no, we were partying at essence honey and <laughs> all, the way up. all the way up it was very it was very lit but now after <laughs> learning from so many folks that have been doing this studying for many years I've come to under, and also just different experiences that I've had, I've come to understand that what we really need is this really transformational change. So get connected with people that can help sharpen your understanding of these issues. Um, There are lots of organizations and formations to check into. You can check out the Movement for Black Lives. They have a list in different places around the country. Um, To stay connected to me, um, you can follow the South. It's um, the three underscores South, um, and the South is my um, creative and digital firm. We say 
the South is our unapologetic black culture defines political power. And so we, we run campaigns, we create clothing and swag to help black folks wear their politics on their sleeves. Um, we also work with different organizations to help bring more um, energy and flavor and, and excitement into their, their um, campaign content. So you can follow that. the South um, on Twitter and Instagram. Um, and you can also follow me. Um, and, I, and I would just say, you know, there are, are lots of groups like Black Women For um, and Black Mamas March. They're, we're not going to leave the streets. So there's going to be time. There's going to be opportunities. And this is, this is a chance for folks who have been wondering how to tag in, how do I get more engaged? Um, yeah. This is the, the, the moment to, to step in. Things are really shifting. I feel it. Um, what's different this time, though, is that all of us are involved, right? So if this is your first time, it's cool. Welcome. Thank you. Um, we need you. <laughs> yeah. Need you. Yeah. And register to vote, please. Um, Absolutely. Primaries yeah. are still happening and it's not just presidential. So register to vote so we can get this pop in in November. All right. All right. Um, follow us on at YBF politics and of course, YBF, the YBF.com and at the YBF underscore daily. And y'all already know at the YBF podcast, as well as our YouTube, where you can watch people like Angela and her beautiful face uh, <laughs> talk to us about politics as well as pop culture and news and celebrities foolishness and all of that. So thank you guys so much for watching and listening. I hope this was super informative. Thank you, Angela, for doing this with us thank and you being our, one of our, one of our first guests on, um, in our Wabia vertical, Wabia politics vertical. So we're honored. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. Thanks guys. Thanks for listening. Bye.